All right. Have um, you ever sold a house where a murder took place? Yes. Ooh, tell us about yes. that. It was one in the house uh, up in the hills uh, off of Laurel Canyon. Someone had come into the house to rob the house, and the owner of the house had uh, shot and killed that person. Ah, the unspoken truth behind real estate. That and so much more coming up. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Scandalabra. I'm your host, Mark Burnett. And I have to say, I am thrilled today for so many reasons. One, we're about to talk to not only one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles, two, a longtime client of mine as a designer, but three, and more importantly, a really good friend. So welcome to the show, Tom. Hi. Yeah, happy you're here. So Tom Davila, you joined Rare Properties in 2006, and we all know that that was two years before the housing crisis. Okay, were you brave or naive? Uh, you know, I, I think it was, a, it was always a passion of mine, and I always wanted to get into real estate. You know, my mom and I, growing up, would every Sunday go to open houses together, we would just look at houses and see how the design was. We looked at what are things going on in the market. And one was 42 years ago, my mom went on an open house and we found the uh, the house that uh, up in the hills that she lived in for almost 42 years. Then her and I had to go back and convince my stepfather to buy it. But it was a, once we were in it, uh, it was a, a great house for them. She never wanted to leave that house. It's what I think got me into real estate or thinking about real estate. Yeah. Um, so God, what a cool thing to do with your mom. But uh, what's different about open houses from 40 years ago than today? You know, uh, before they didn't really have as much signage going to them. You looked in the Sunday paper and, you know, went through and say, okay, what is going to be open and go there, get your Thomas guide out, look at, find out what location. Thomas guide. Okay. Okay. For our listeners who don't <laughs> know what a Thomas guide is, this is like, pre-MapQuest. <laughs> this is like literally a printed manual, right? Yeah. Correct. It was yeah, huge. You bought it manual. at 7-Eleven. Right? right, right, right. A printed manual where you actually had to go in the index, look up a street and uh, and the number, then find, there's a code, map code and, and uh, page count, and that's where you were able to find the address of where it is. Never told you how to get there. You had to maneuver that on your own. Okay, so texting and driving is bad. How do you look at a Thomas guide and drive at the same time? And you either have a passenger or you pull the side of the road back then. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, given that is, uh, I think that's what got me into real estate. Always had a passion for that. You know, and I did, you know, film production for a long time. And, well, let's talk about that. Because, yeah. you know, I don't call you a bean counter per se, but <laughs> <laughs> but I would say you're a numbers guy, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit of that legacy. Yes, you were yeah. in production accounting, right? Yeah, so I was in uh, production accounting. Usually I worked on high-budget films, and I would have a, a team that I would put together that would be from, you know, eight people to 20 people uh, and worked on, you know, several high-budget films. And when uh, you say high-budget, what's high-budget back then? Because I know budget. budgets have changed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I worked on uh, one of the highest budgets back then. 1988, 89 was a film called Bonfire the Vanities, and that was 55 million. My next film the next year was Terminator 2, which ended up being closer to 125 million. Okay, look. Uh, okay, so first of all, was the 55 million worth it for Bonfire, and was the 100 plus for Terminator 2? 
you think? <laughs> the 55 did not work out for Bonfire. <laughs> That's what I was going to uh, say. The 125 <laughs> did work out for Terminator 2. Yeah. Well, and little known fact, um, you and I actually worked on a film, but we had never met. Yes. Speed 2. Speed 2, that, mm. that wonderful movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the slow-moving ship in the water, but yet made to look like it was going really fast. Yes, yes. It, 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 that, was a, that was a big experience, you know, and always uh, shooting on uh, water is a long, arduous process. Yeah. And costly. Sure. Seaborn Legend, right? Yes, Seaborn yeah. Legend. It was an amazing ship, you yeah. know. It, it was a... Uh, difficult project and i'm not quite sure i've actually watched the whole film all the way through <laughs> <laughs> well i know how it ends yeah <laughs> uh yes when i think of the late 80s i can only imagine the number of celebrities you've worked with and uh rumor has it you had a little encounter with madonna why don't you tell us about that well i was working on production and i had gone uh to the set and it was the uh, director's birthday that day. So um, Madonna was on this uh, movie and she had created this whole uh, margaritas and tacos and everything. And so she was making margaritas. I was going to go make the margarita for myself on the set, but uh, she told me that she wanted to make it for me. It was one of the strongest margaritas I have ever had. And this is in the afternoon on a Friday and uh, you know I could not drink it in front of her. Uh, and then had to head home uh, for the rest of the day from that one. Absolutely. I mean, Madonna makes you a margarita. You have to drink that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing, let me go through the, the, the anthology here. Or it's either Desperately Seeking Susan, A League of Their Own, Avita. What was it? What am I missing? Who's that girl? Who's that girl? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, so was this preparation for real estate? Because we're talking about how in 2006, you kind of kindled in many ways your love of real estate, you know, your childhood, going to open houses. And here you are saying, I want to go into real estate. and Probably maybe the one of the worst times and also one of the most competitive markets in the US. What was your what was the courage? What did it take to do that? Well, I, I think it's it's something I always had done. And you know, when I was wrapping up film production, I also with my husband, I took a trip, both of us had time and we took a trip around the world. We knew that we would probably never have that again, this time together. So we went around the world and just really reflected on our lives and stuff and and, and what it came to being was that we, you know, we wanted to have, be out there and do what we want to do. Mine being real estate, his is marketing. It was just a, a good opportunity for me to make that break. And, and before getting my real estate license, I actually started uh, buying homes in the desert and fixing them up, mid-century homes, Alexander, Meiselman's, and redoing those. And, and just giving that, bringing those homes into the uh, 21st century. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your real estate portfolio. Do you listen to your own advice that you give your clients? Yes, I do. Which is what? Well, I, I, if there's a, pro, a house that they really want, and especially when they're looking at making an offer, that I always say, when you make your step forward, that make the offer for encounters or something. You feel like you've done your best foot forward that if you do not get it, you don't have remorse about it. You feel in your heart that you did your best foot forward. Okay. I like that. You know, I, I was watched a, a morning show the other week, a week or so ago, and someone, some real estate expert said, uh, 
when's the best time to buy a house? Uh, that was the question. And her answer, which I, I kind of liked, was when you can afford it. Because <laughs> it, you never can guess the market, right? No, can you no, guess the market? The, now, even more so, we can't guess the market. Given the pandemic and where we have been in the last year and a half almost, it's it, the market has really changed. And times where we thought, okay, this is a slow time, it's not a slow time anymore. So let's talk a little bit about today's market. So I read this article on CNN News. A house in Washington, D.C. listed for $275,000. They had 88 offers. 76 were all cash. 15 offers were sight unseen. And it was a, they ended up selling it for a 70% increase from the asking price. And also no contingencies and all cash. What the hell is going on, Tommy? It is it is really crazy. And what is happening is what we're seeing is everyone is trying to make a shift now. And whether it is from a condo to a house and where we're seeing, you know, money flowing in is people have made money on the market in the stock market and they're pulling that out, feeling that the stock market's gonna be in the future maybe not as good. And they know that real estate can will hold its value, even if you you have a dip, it always rebounds. That's a really good point because well, you brought up two things. One is, I've always been curious, where are people getting all this money from? And you think the primary source is that money that's made through the moving, stock market? I think it's moving money around. Well, and I think that's with all cash offers, I'm saying. The other things where we're seeing a lot of money is, is that loans are so cheap right now. They're the, the cheapest I've ever seen. And it, it creates a lot of buying power for people who couldn't afford a home before. Now can. I'm also seeing that there are these conglomerates. I don't know any other word for it, buying up real estate. Yeah. Have you experienced any of that? There, there are several out there. I think that the those markets are outside of a lot of the metropolitan areas where they're buying a lot of different homes, and in that they're looking at rentals, renting them out, and making money, and then eventually selling off the product. Nuts. We there are some buying houses here in the Los Angeles area, uh, flipping them, redoing them, adding on and creating value that way. Because we're seeing last year, I, we had over a 10% increase in home values. This year up to now, we've, we're looking projecting at least 13% this year. But in the future, what we're seeing is what's been projected is in 2022, 23, 24, we're seeing more of a flattening out there. But still, some increases, not as big, maybe in the five to seven percent range. But sure. Um, so you know, one of the things my mom always said to me when I was little, which was real estate. It's, it's a, it's foolproof, like it's safe. But I think we kind of rethought that a little bit in two thousand eight, right? Yeah. Uh, and now, but the, it seems like the pendulum is really swinging the other way. Yeah. Can, can you give me an example of? A house, maybe even in your portfolio, maybe a Palm Springs house or anything where you listed it as something and it kind of surprised you even as a real estate agent? Well, one of them was, there was actually, I'll do one as my own house, sure. which is I listed it in 2005, just before the shift. And this was a Palm Springs. Uh, we had bought it three years before that for $412,000. We fixed it up. I want to say we spent less than 100000 back then. And in three years, we sold it for $980,000. Okay, so good investment. Yeah. <laughs> you bought it for four hundred. dollars you tacked on another hundred, dollars and you pretty much doubled. The price doubled, okay? Yes. 
Good for you. Then what happened? So um, we bought another house in Rancho Mirage, fixed it up, did that house. Then the market shift. That house in Palm Springs uh, sold in 2005 for uh, 980. Um, and it wasn't till two years ago that it sold just over what we had sold it for. So it took uh, almost 17 years for it to rebound to over the price. Okay, so let's compare that amount of time and value added to what's happening today. It's my understanding today that there are people, you talk about flipping, there's people who don't do anything but paint the front door. There's right. people who are buying houses, and then a month later, they're selling it for mo way more. Just give you a, an aspect of uh, one of the properties that we had in Palm Springs. We sold it in August of 2020 during the pandemic for the highest price per square foot uh, in that area. And it sold for $1,250,000. The buyers had moved from Oregon uh, and decided uh, six months later that they wanted to move back. So they put the house up on the market for $125,000 more than what they bought it for. It ended up closing in multiple counters over $250,000 than what they bought it for seven months prior. Okay, that's crazy. Yes. That really is. I mean, you know, I have friends trying to buy houses, and here you are on this side selling them. Are we going to, is this bubble going to burst? I think you, you say it's going to level off possibly in a couple of years, but, but let me just remind you in Los Angeles, we have the Super Bowl next year. We have the World Cup in 26, and we have the Olympics in 28. How is any or all of that going to play a role in real estate here? All of it's going to play a role. One of the reasons why we are having such a boom is that people are wanting to make a move. And they it, it could be from downsizing. It could be work, now they know they can work from home and looking at, you know, working afar. They can, you know, they, there's a lot of, transit housing happening right now. Sure. And the biggest thing I think we're seeing is in the inventory, the inventory is at a 30-year low right now. So when you have a product there's not a lot of, it drives the price up. So that's what we're seeing a lot of right now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So one of the things we all know is the internet has changed everything. Yes. <laughs> you know, we live in the digital age. And on that note, I'm curious, are you utilizing digital advertising? Are you, um, is that part of your marketing budget or are you still putting your picture on a bus bench seat, which I have a <laughs> feeling you're not doing? No, no. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of marketing. A lot of it is digital social media. We also do, uh, capture leads from Zillow. That would is uh, like our, probably one of our largest marketing budgets that can, we have. Can you give me an example of that of how it's paid off? Yeah, so uh, we have roughly six team members that that are on my team that do Zillow. So last year from our Zillow, we had about twenty five million in sales last year just from Zillow. Overall, our whole team did uh, one hundred thirty million dollars. But you know, you look at it, that's like a roughly eighteen percent of what uh, our overall team did. So it's a huge amount of money. Right. So I can't help but want to ask this question. Are the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? I mean, what, what's with the the wealth inequity? Uh, you know, is it that people who have money can buy more, therefore it makes them wealthier? Or do you feel like this this real estate situation is servicing what's going on in the country? And well, I think it is is what people are able to 
be able to purchase the, you know, and it, all calibers. We're seeing it from all different levels. We're seeing it from $200,000 condos to four, five, $10 million houses. One of the things we talked about earlier was money is cheap right now. And I think people who have knowing, seen what housing prices can go to and are looking at the future, knowing that they need to get in now, no matter what. And I think we're seeing on all different levels that all people are trying to get in because they know that there's value in real estate as it goes on. Gotcha. So uh, that makes sense. So it's agnostic in the sense that anybody, depending on your price point and where you are in your life, can enter the real estate market. I have to say, though, you know, if you read the headlines, I don't know about you, but I would be fearful. I'd be like, this is not the right time. I don't want to I don't want to be one of 30 offers. Do I really have to be all cash? And what's this thing with no contingencies? Does that mean I'm buying as is? Yes. <laughs> What's that going to be like? We're, I mean, we're seeing a lot of that. Sometimes we will have listings that have already done all their inspections. So when you get into it, you already ha know what's going to happen on that house. You already know what issues are happening. But we are getting people who are writing off appraisals because things appraisers are not catching up to what the costs are. So they're writing off appraisals. So they have a lot of cash on hand to make up the difference if they're uh, getting a loan. Gotcha. So you're saying if the appraisal comes in under the selling price right. or what the bank will loan, then they're willing to fork up another hundred grand or whatever Yeah, to make up the difference. Gotcha. Yeah. Huh, fascinating. Yeah. So you've had a remarkable career, which I've been very privileged to watch unfold in real estate, but you had to have had some difficult clients. You've had to have some people, you've had to have some tough conversations with. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing, uh, you know, with clients sometimes is what they perceive the value of their home and what the condition is and not really looking at the overall of what that property, what the property is really going for in that area. So, okay. So wait, wait, be more specific. So they're saying my house is fabulous, but really the floors are rotted, the window, like what exactly? And, and what? These paint, or it's the, the way you go into it. It's just, it's filled with stuff everywhere and what we find out if you're trying to get the best value for your house is that you need to have it clean you need to look presentable like someone can move in and see themselves in it okay so let's talk about that i'm a designer as you yeah. know clean presentable i could see myself living here is the safest bet all white walls you know what it's it, I, sometimes i like to say yes because it's a clean palette people sometimes when there's color on the wall they can't even they can't even grasp that just you know, a hundred dollars worth of paint can get rid of it. So yeah, I, I've got to say in selling houses, we always look at the white walls. Yeah. I would say that's my biggest problem with house hunters on HGTV, you know, all the, which we all laugh at, you yeah. know, people go and they're like, I could never live with that dishwasher. I'm like, come on, it's a dishwasher. You can yeah. replace that. <laughs> you, know? you know, and I, I, you look at that and like, oh, that's not really true, but it happens a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot. Is someone comes in, doesn't like a wallpaper on a wall, and it, it, it focuses them in a different direction. Well, let's talk about that hard conversation. So, what do you do? You call them up, you sit them down, or what do you what do you say to right. them? And you know, and you know, I've redone lots of houses myself, so I go through and I kind of like, okay, we can you can do this, this, and this. This is going to cost somewhere around here, and you can get that look that you're looking for. Without having, you know, if you like the area that the house is in, you like the style of the house, it's just how it looks on the inside that you want to make, make some changes that it's going to make it your dream home. 
Sure. Which reminds me of a show called Love It or List It, which I'm sure you're aware of, where people make over their house with the intention of listing it, but then they end up falling in love with it. Has that ever happened to you? One time, yes. Yeah? Yeah. We went in, we had a house up in the Hollywood Hills, just up below the Hollywood sign. And we went in, we painted the whole house. We had it, you know, landscaped. We had, you know, edited out a lot of stuff. And we were about to put it on the market. We even had photography taken to put it on the market. And they decided that they liked it too much and didn't want to move. So they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> and they lived there for at least another 10 years. Which so. goes to show, you know, I don't, this is one thing I don't understand. And I'm somewhat guilty of it, although I've gotten better. Why do people wait to fix up their house to sell it? Why don't they just fix it up and enjoy it? Good question. I think, you know, I think it's money. Yeah. You know, they look at it and like, momentum of they feel compliant in where they are right now but when they know and see in front of them that they uh can fix up their house and gain more money they have more momentum to do that yeah i don't know if you ever thought about this but it was always a telltale sign in a neighborhood when you saw someone fixing up their yard oh yes yeah because it was like oh they're gonna sell they're gonna sell <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so ambulance chase is not the right uh, analogy here but are there any ways, any things you notice, nuances of, you know, being a real estate agent, driving through neighborhoods, subtle things that you see that other people might not see as you evaluate a neighborhood, look at properties? What's the Sherlock Holmes point of view? I look at the, the neighborhoods and first of all, in our neighborhoods is looking at whether the street has sidewalks, how easy accessible it is, gotcha. how close it is to other things that you know uh, clients want to go to. What we're finding is that clients want to be closer to grocery markets, restaurants. They don't want to live far away from those places. So they're looking at places closer to commercial stuff. Gotcha. Um, I, I remember my mom always said something like, look at your neighbors, you know, what kind of cars are they driving? You know, what, what does their yard look like? All that stuff that gives you these ideas of how people take care of their houses. And that's yeah, true. I mean, I think one of the things in, in different areas in LA is one of the things you drive down the street is, you know, oh, okay. They have security bars on their windows. Right. So that also, that always makes, okay. So are they there because they just haven't gotten them off and still feel that way? But then if or is start, it a necessity? Or is it a necessity? But what we're seeing is some of those neighborhoods, they're all starting to come off. They know that it's a deterrent for a buyer or making their neighborhood nice. So we're seeing a lot of flip over of that kind of what's happening in those neighbors. Now. Yeah, I remember coming to L.A. back in 1990. And well, two things that took me back. One was flying over a city of concrete. I just felt like there was so much concrete in L.A. But second to that were all those bars on the windows. I was always surprised. It kind of reminds me of the Beverly Center. Hey, I'm going to call it out. That place looks like a prison. Have you driven by there recently? Yeah, I haven't gone. <laughs> I haven't gone in, in in a while. But yeah, no, it does. It's, you know, it, it always seems this huge monolithic box. Yeah, well, in this iron cladding they put around it. Yeah. I swear to God, if I was on a tour, one of those star tours, and they were like, and this is the, uh, you know, WeHo adjacent prison, everyone would go, oh, okay, cool, let's take pictures. I mean, because yeah. it looks like a prison. Well, you need to hold the shoppers in somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Smart man. Hey, everyone. I want to take a moment to thank Misio Home for supporting Scandalabra. Imagine having access to the creative minds of the world's best artisans, designers, and dreamers. Misio Home was launched for design-savvy enthusiasts just like you and me, because we appreciate original works, quality materials, and above all, how our home makes us feel. 
And now we have a very special code from ECO that will get you, our listeners, 20% off. Just use the word podcast at checkout and you will receive 20% off on your next purchase. Thank you, Misio. That's M-I-S-S-I-O home.com. So tell me a little bit about Rare Properties. So uh, Rare Properties was uh, founded by my business partner, Kenan Earl, uh, back in uh, 2003. I joined it in about 2006. We have grown to a team of about 15. We do uh, leases and uh, sales from, I would say, Pasadena to Malibu. What we look at aspect of marketing a property, there's always some rare aspect to a property, whether, you know, where it's location, the design, there's something about that property that we want to pull out that it's rare. I like that. I like that because at first I was a little skeptical, but I like that approach. That makes sense. And you certainly have a keen sense of design and construction and all that where you could easily identify that. Have you ever turned down a property listing it because it wasn't rare enough? No, I think what we've turned down a property where they were unrealistic in what they wanted. Like how so? Yeah. Well, price and not willing to do anything to the house to make it so that we could market it out there. Gotcha. So so in a way, you kind of have a mental checklist of like, you, there's certain boxes that need to be checked before you'll say, okay, we can get behind this. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, we're spending money and time to market this house for them. And if we feel that it's going to be just, you know, it's not going to help to get the sale for us at all then it's just worth a waste of time for everyone. You know, that's a really good point because I think some people could see real estate agents as like cha-ching, cha-ching. I don't know what your what your cut is, five, six, whatever the percentage is. But I would actually think it's the opposite of that, especially now with the pandemic. I hear there are agents writing, they're, they're working with one client writing multiple offers at the same time. Yes, I've yeah. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, like, you know, is that an administrative nightmare or what? Or well, is it illegal? I'm not sure which. Well, you know, it's what if all three of them got accepted at the same time? I don't know. You tell me. Right. So, <laughs> if all three got accepted at the same time and then they cancel out, they're not being judicial in in their what they're trying to do. So gotcha. Clients have written at least eight or nine offers, not at the same time, but right after another one that we've lost and they're going to multiple offers and going, you know, five, 10, 20% over asking. So I'm curious, what advice would you give to a first time buyer? Uh, you know, in LA, as someone I speak from experience, there was always this ha- getting over the hurdle of your down payment. Yeah. You know, it just seemed like it was an endless loop until all of a sudden one day it happens. Um, but you know, having a home is really important these days. That's one thing we've all learned, but the reality is it's a big purchase. It's a life purchase. A lot of resources, time, energy, money goes in, go into buying a house. But if there are pearls of wisdom, you have your own portfolio, you bought houses, you sell houses. And look, I've seen your, I've seen the houses you sell. They they range from a million all the way up. So what can you what can you tell those people out there looking at the market today? Well, I mean, I look at the market that if they can get into it, they should do it. We've looked at the cycle history of real estate and the ups and downs and in it that it does have a bounce in times where it will have it, but we, it always recovers and goes even more. So it, it depends if you're going to hold on to a property for at least, you know, five, seven years, then, you know, most likely you'll be doing pretty good on it. 
So get into it. Yeah, get into it. And do your research. Yeah, do your research, do your inspections, because, you know, that's what can be very costly for you, too. You know, one of the things I've always admired about you, Tom, is your ability to look at a property from a variety of different angles. It's not only just as an agent, but, you know, you grew up in construction. You love design. I know that about you. Do you often offer a little bit of that advice when you're interacting with clients? Or is there a line you have to draw? No, I actually, I do. Some clients, you know, just don't have a, an eye to see how things can turn out. And so I help show them that, hey, you could be doing this, you could look at doing that, and kind of give them a different aspect of how the house can look like. What frustrates you the most about the real estate industry? Is it uh, like a bunch of hacks out there? What happened was in before 2007, 2008, everyone, I mean, there was writing offers, people getting in, agents, people coming in with no experience whatsoever and dealing with those kind of agents. Well, then the market shift and we lost those agents without experience because they were not able to continue on the market uh, and being an agent. Um, I think we're seeing a little bit of that right now. We're getting a lot of inexperienced agents. A lot of these agents, you know, Redfin, Zillow, you know, when I get a call and I have a, like a, one of those agents coming in, I'm like, oh, I have to deal with the not as experienced during that time. And um, I think that's kind of the biggest issue I have because I, you know, I look at that as like, do I want to be in escrow with this person? Gotcha. And when you think about that inexperience, what, what are the pain points? They aren't writing contracts. They're misinforming their clients. Like, is it just a, they don't have think, the know-how or what? I think it's a little bit of, of all of that. I think, you know, sometimes we'll see that what they put into contract, they don't actually know what they did, whether, you know, writing no appraisal on it and your loan contingency still in there, um, that you can't, you know, you can't get out of the, the contract just because the appraisals didn't come in. Even if the loan's approved for them, they can't get out of the contract. Sure. So in many ways, they're kind of locking people in. Right. I think sometimes inexperience can be detrimental. Yeah. Cheap is expensive. My grandmother used to say that. Would you say that's your what the fuck moment? Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> you know, I don't say that, but, but yeah, no, it, it is one of the things I'm like, you know, why? You know, this is your biggest purchase. Why are you relying on someone online to do this for you? Uh, you need to have that experience behind you, especially something that, as I, like I said, it's your biggest ex purchase in your life. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of contractors, you know, for the longest time and probably still so now contractors can get really bad raps, as you know, yeah. they'll, they'll just take the next job, you know, and next thing you know, they're, they promise to be complete, have a completion date. Next thing you know, it's two months later and it's four months later because we often say they're chasing the money. Do you feel like there's a little bit of that with real estate agents? I think so. Yeah. I think there's a, you know, there's a little bit, I'm, but there is a lot of great agents out there. Sure. Sometimes the few tarnish it. I would say most agents are, are great out there. Yeah. It's the whole one bad apple can't spoil the whole bunch, right. I guess. You know, I work for a company called Compass and, you know, they are great in that aspect. They only create, you know, bring in reputable agents and, um, and they really hold to that and uh, their beliefs. And uh, it's been a great company to work with. And um, I don't see that in some other agencies at times. Do you think LA is different from other cities in regards to real estate? 
You know, I think every city is different. You know, how we do real estate, like in New York, they don't have escrows, which handle the whole real estate transaction. Wait, what? They don't have escrows in New York? No, it's all done through lawyers. Really? Yeah. So your money, you give your money to your lawyer? Well, it, they have, it goes through the bank and it, stuff, but you actually go to a table and you sign in front of each other. Oh, so, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. for the closing. Wow, that is different. I had no idea. Yeah, so, you know, and here we have escrow companies that do through the process. Um, so each place does it different. In Up in the Bay Area, uh, one of the things I was saying earlier is they do all their inspection reports before. So when you go in to make an offer, they have a booklet for you saying, okay, this is everything that's done in the house, you know, uh, so you're aware of all the aspects of the house. Okay, if you could change one thing about real estate, here in LA, what would it be? But like, you could just snap your fingers and be like, God, I just wish this was different. The one thing I wish is different that I hopefully we go back to is because we haven't been able to have open houses and create that rapport where people come in and meet with agents and stuff. And I, I think, you know, hopefully that will change right now. We can't do that. Yeah. We can only do it by appointments. And, uh, I think it, will open up the market a lot when we get to that again. Yeah, I think that's the nice version. I think for me, if I were a real estate agent, I just wouldn't want to deal with difficult people. I don't know. I just would be like, mm, I'm just getting a bad vibe from you right now. Can we just not work together? <laughs> well, you know, it's a good question. Because in uh, film production, I when I used to do, I would have some crazy producers, which I can't mention. But I would know that I would only work with them a certain amount of time because I knew the project would be over. But in real estate, if I've got a crazy client or something like that, it's not really working. I can fire them. Nice. So I don't have to deal with that. You know, I'll try to work it out. But if it's it's not working for other, I'll I'll fire them. How you say I'll fire them? Sounds like you may have done that before. I, yes, we have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't need names, but you know what? What was the most? What was so difficult about this client? Just unreasonable. I mean, really unreasonable had a price in their head uh, that was exuberant and would not budge at all. We would get offers on the property and just didn't want to uh, accept any of them. Yeah. So they wouldn't budge. They wouldn't budge at all. Back to your whole thing about like people have unrealistic expectations about their properties. With, with other agents. Yeah. Sometimes uh -huh. when we're trying to set up appointments and we don't get that person who calls us back at all or, or try to set up a time. Yeah. It makes it difficult. I would think so. Um, you know, you're doing all this work, as you said, marketing the the prop the product, as you call it, which makes sense. And um, you know, you need it's a two way street. You got to help us out here, right? Yeah. I think we see more of it where we have issues with people not showing up and and such, which which would be um, leases. I mean, we can set up lease appointments, and I would say at least fifty percent of them don't show up for the appointment. Really. Yeah. And so you just stand there and wait for them and they don't show up? Yeah. I and mean, they don't even call sometimes. Uh, that's so rude. Yeah. I, that would say would probably be one of the biggest things that is frustrating is not having people not show up for appointments. I'd, I'd go knock on their door, track them down. <laughs> Have you ever had a, a homeowner tell you that they stole, someone stole something from their house during a showing? <laughs> I mean, I'll look at, I, I'm just thinking of all the crazy stuff that happens in LA. You know, people go in and, okay, you probably tell your clients, put everything away, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, we had a couple times had that happen. Really? Like, like what? Give me, what, what, what does someone take? A watch. Oh, a watch. Yeah. So they went in like a 
drawer. drawer. Yeah, drawer and gotta watch. And you know, and one of the things we always say when we're doing like an open house and such is, you know, put everything away, lock it away. But sometimes we get into an open house and we see their jewelry out on a counter. So, you know, we'll go in, take a picture of it, put it together and then hide it somewhere else so that it's not in plain sight. Yeah. I mean, like, that's very tempting. I mean, I'm not a thief, but, you know, come on. You don't leave watches out in counters. Right. You know, it's funny, Tommy, um, on Clean House, we used to tell the homeowners, put all your personal stuff in your trunk of the car. We don't because we're going to we're going to know everything about your business by the time we come in and out. Right. Do you feel like in many ways you get to know everything about people's business when you go through their house? Yeah, you know, you know, especially being a, a listing agent, we always tell them put. Every, that's one of the things in staging a house. We always tell them put everything away during the walkthrough. We see it, but it's one of the things is just yeah. We tell them. sometimes they don't hear. We'll go to have to go through another round and say, okay, we need to get rid of these pictures, these items, clean it up. So you know, you you bring up a really interesting point. You've had this. Uh, illustrious career working with celebrities in your production days. And then now I know you work with a lot of celebrities now. Are they the same? Did you learn anything? Was it training ground for you? You know, good question. I think it was good training ground. I mean, is, you know, each celebrity is different and, you know, what they want. Um, to me is uh, I treat them pretty much the same, you know, as a person. Um, I don't think celebrity status really gets me. I, we have several celebrity clients now, but anyone you can mention? Uh, no. Okay. All right. Well, no. Yeah. Sorry. No, I no, I respect that. Yeah. I'll I'll dig it out of you some other way. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a lot of clients now. Yeah, we have a lot of clients and celebrities. Um, and uh, you know, they're all different levels, and you know, and and a lot of them privacy. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things is. You know, sometimes in setting up a uh, recording on a house, we have to send it, set it up into a trust that their name's not associated with it because people stalk them. Okay, so I have a little story about that. But before I tell mine, I'm going to ask you yours. What's the craziest trust name a celebrity? Well, that would kind of give it away as well. Uh, had there been some crazy trust names? You know, uh, there has been some crazy trust names. And sometimes you look at them like, where did they come up with this one? So I have two stories about that I have to tell you. Maybe this will ring some bells for you. So uh, I started Portis Films with Sandra Bullock, the actress. actress, And uh, this was back in 94. And so I basically was the lead or whatever you call it on a trust because she didn't want it in her name. But it was called the Poopy Trust. That was the name of it. She was very fond of dogs, always has been. Um, but it also then reminds me of another story. When I was on the road with her uh, doing films, she would check into hotels using my great aunt's name, which was Sadie Finkelstein. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know anybody listening and anybody who knows Sandra Bullock or Sandy. She doesn't look like a Sadie Finkelstein. <laughs> so I think it threw a lot of people off the path. I guess that's just part of being the celebrity world, right? Yeah, you. I mean, they, they have so many other aspects that they have to keep quiet about and um, private about. So because they're, you know, for them is people are always searching for them and where they are at. So they have to have other precautions in that respect. Sure. So now that we're talking about celebrities, if I recall, you had an uber famous neighbor. Yeah, um, Louis Tomlinson. He he bought the house. Uh, must have been about. 
five years ago uh, and lived there for about three or four years ago. So, and changed it, right? Did a lot of work on it. Yeah, well, he, it, a lot of it had done been previously. And, uh, you know, he moved in and decorated and stuff. He lived there for about three or four years, but wasn't ever there that much. I mean, he was traveling back around the world and into England and back. So I was going to say that had to be super annoying, but it sounds like it really wasn't. A, yeah, bad. no, it, you know, on that one, you deal with the, the assistant more. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, if there was issues like, you know, Hey, you need to trim the trees, you know, you're calling me assistant. Hey, Hey, tap Louie, trim the trees. <laughs> okay. I want to see that video of Louie trimming the trees. <laughs> hey, Tommy, what's your biggest brag? Uh, I know you don't like talking about yourself, so uh, I'm putting you on the spot. But hey, it's scandalabra. It's what we do. I like to have fun and good time. Yeah, tell me about that. I know that. I'm a, I'm a big tease. I always like to, you know, but I like to have fun on the job. Yeah, yeah. So, so what is that? Are you a you're a jokester, prankster. I'm a jokester at times. Yes, I can be a jokester at times. Are you an April first guy? Did you call everybody and fire them on the morning of April first? <laughs> <laughs> good one. See, I hear that <laughs> laugh. That laugh is mischievous. <laughs> it is. Um, no, I do. I do like to. I, I will play a joke on several people. I have, you have an example. Anything you've done recently? Uh, that uh, I was redoing a house, and I had a friend who was there sitting on the house, uh, waiting for workers to come. And so I uh, snuck up into one of the rooms and started making some noise, and then come out and scare them in that way. Okay, come on. That's okay. On that note, has have you ever sold a haunted house? Ooh. Um, no, I have not sold in a haunted house. All right. Have um, you ever sold a house where a murder took place? Yes. Oh, tell us about yes. that. It was one in the house uh, up in the hills uh, off of Laurel Canyon. Someone had come into the house to rob the house, and the owner of the house had uh, shot and killed that person Ooh. inside the house. Um, that's one of the things, um, you know, in real estate, you have to disclose if someone has died in a certain period of time within the house, it could be natural causes and stuff. But if it's person has been shot or killed, or, you know, kind of those kind of circumstances, that goes through the whole history of the house. Really? Yeah, that does not go away. So you always have to disclose that. Gotcha. So a natural course of passing away, whatever, there's a time frame. Right. But if someone like is literally murdered or shot. Yeah. Wow. Or someone's killed in the house. That's right. So I heard a story once where um, someone had a, an address. They lived on a corner, and let's just say it was 59 Hillcrest, um, and a murder took place. And so they petitioned the city to have their address changed, and they moved the front door to the other street. Wow. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? That's good thinking. But I would think that that would only be good for research and, and trying to search up that address. But that owner of that house knows of the situation. He still has to disclose it. So, you know, I, I'm party of one on makeover television. So what I'm about to ask, and I, I'm certainly guilty of, I'll just tell you right now, has, uh, what was the experience like with you and Kenan on selling LA? Was it good? Did, did the company get well re represented? Was it truthful? What are your thoughts? It was a great show. Kenan was kind of the, uh, was the lead on that show. Um, and I would go on every once in a while. But what I liked about the show, it was very truthful. It wasn't a scripted show, and it really showed, you know, and all, all the times you went through the process, the house may not have sold, but it was really going through the process of getting the house ready, dealing with the clients, and also maybe looking buyers, finding other houses. But I felt I really liked the show in that aspect, and 
where it was really truthful. It wasn't a scripted show. I'm curious. Do you even watch H? Do you even watch makeover shows? Do you watch? I do. Real you know, shows? I, I think on the you know during the pandemic and weekends or something like that. Uh, I still I still watch Love It or List It. Yeah. You know, and I just you know for me it's like okay, which one are they going to do? You know, <laughs> do you ever I, yell at the TV? <laughs> No, come on. Like, you know, like, look, I, I'll sometimes watch a makeover show. I'm like, no way. Yeah. That did not just happen. There's yeah. no way. Yeah. We did the whole room for $2,000. I'm like, dude, that's oh, a $20,000 room. I, I, I've got to agree with you. I think for the most things, when we see someone does something and they said, oh, it costs this amount of money. I'm like, no, I mean, we've done over a dozen homes ourselves. And I'm like, uh. There's no way. There's got to be so much product placement in it that offsets the cost. Sure. But it, it does not cost that. And that's what I feel. Sometimes I'll go and yell at the TV set for that. Like, there is no freaking way. Yeah. Do you feel like in some ways, uh, perhaps these kinds of shows have done a disservice? Or do you think overall they've really opened up people's eyes? I think they open up people's eyes. But I do feel that people is somewhat of a disservice when they see some things that can be done for this amount of money. There's, there's no way. Yeah. Well, look, on Clean House, on um, the show I was on for several years, we uh, we gave people the impression that in a weekend you can make over a four-bedroom house. <laughs> Little did they know, you know, we had a crew of 100, we had 40 PAs, we had construction supervisors, and, you know, so I think that's one of the things where we really had to come clean. What do you think of the show Selling Sunset? That show's scripted. <laughs> uh, so what do you mean by that? Well, what is scripted is they write the script and they do the storyline around it. Okay. Yeah. So it's produced. It's produced. Um, there was one house that was on the market that I had sold previously. And that person, uh, you know, hired one of the people on there and they did this whole event there. And I could tell you're dancing around yeah, this I'm answer. Around okay. So you had sold this house previously. The yeah. house ends up on the show, yeah. which typically I've seen the show. They do these big hoopla extravaganza events where they invite people who drive in in Ferraris and, you know, all this stuff to see this at this crazy party with a bunch of models. Yeah. And the goal is to sell the house. Goal is to sell the house. Does that really happen that often? Yeah. Does it? No. We uh, we do have special events, uh, and it depends on the price point of the house, but um, not this one. I, I think there was a, an event made up to be for this, a special event made up to market this property. All right, so selling sunset, mm. scripted, gotcha. So what's on your bucket list? Well, I'm building a house in Palm Springs right now. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> that is that's the biggest thing on my bucket list because it's uh, I've never built a house from the ground up with my own design. Yeah. Uh, I've done one with a developer that I lived in for a while, but um, most of the house that we've done, it just been, you know, fix them up and do it there. So this is a big project for me and uh, I'm liking all the details um, and doing it. Not my checkbook doesn't like the details, but <laughs> it uh, it's, it's been a great experience. Yeah. Are you paying a premium in Palm Springs? I think we are. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a matter of fact where everything is because of the pandemic is is just prices are just going crazy. Deals doubled, wood has gone up thirty, forty percent. Uh, I think people are seeing that across the country and just going to Home Depot and buying something. Things are just increasing in prices. So, in regards to building a new house, at what point in someone's life 
do you feel like they would be ready to build a new house? Is it, it can't just be about resources, you know, financial. You got to have a vision, right? Correct. You got you got to have a vision of what you want to do. And I think the other thing is, is what do you, what is your end goal? What is, what do you want to do with this house? Is this a house that's just going to be a flip that you want to build or from the, or, or spec house? Or is this something where you're going to live and, and, and be in? Because there's two different ways of paths of going that you kind of, if it's a spec house and you're going down one path or flipping it, you're not going to make the same choices are into a house that you're going to live in. What's one thing you hate about LA? Traffic. <laughs> Especially being in real estate, you have to get all the way around town. I mean, today is uh, is we're in the afternoon, and I've already did showings in Santa Monica this morning. I was up in uh, Toluca Lake doing uh, meetings, and then up in Burbank. Uh, so I've I, getting around town is the traffic. Yeah, and for those listening who may not be familiar with those areas, those are. It, on a map, only about whatever ten, fifteen miles apart. But in it takes traffic, me an hour to hour and fifteen to get across. Yeah, so I guess you have to factor all that in. Yeah, that's one thing I don't like either, and especially now a little post pandemic. Again, I'm being optimistic. Uh, it seems like everybody's back out on the freeways. Yeah, it's it's already started. So. What one thing do you think happened during the pandemic that you think will continue? I think what the pandemic did was it pushed us ahead five to eight years into the future, where we felt more comfortable in being on the digital side and communicating with other people, work. We found out that we can work from home and that home can be not near your place of business if you're able to work outside. So we're seeing a lot of movement in that aspect. But I think the biggest thing is our feeling is now we would have got to it in five to eight years naturally, but it's pushed us forward in that amount of time. So we had to adapt. Yes. And we did. For, for the most did. part, we did. I mean, I think it's, you know, for everyone, I think it's really hit a big reset button in, on our priorities in life. And I think, you know, people are now looking at that and, you know, how does that work for them? Whether, you know, whether it's working from home, whether their home is where they are now or somewhere else. Uh, I think that's where people, you know, like, you know, is this a time to, uh, to move on, to retire, find, you know, go and live in Europe. I think, I think there's a lot of people seeing, seeing that now because of the pandemic. I'll take the latter. I'll go live in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it's so in many ways it's forced these kinds of life decisions. No, it has. And and I think as people are able to look inside themselves more during this time and really go and this is what's going to make them happy. Well, we certainly have had the time to do it. <laughs> We've had more than moments of reflection. We've had months of reflection. <laughs> This has really been great, Tommy. You know, rarely do we get the time to sit down and talk like this. Uh, you know, we have dinners and we talk about real estate. And it's usually like, you know, this client, that client sold this, this thing. But um, I, I think I have a much deeper understanding of what it is to be a real estate agent. And I should tell you that a couple of years ago, I started taking courses in real estate and I just immediately decided it was not for me, ah. you know, because yeah. it's not for everyone, right? No, it's not. And, you know, it's it's. It's really is, you know, getting into real estate, and we always tell this to people starting out, is that you've got to expect your first year not to make a cent. And until you, de you know, develop 
working relationships with people, then you're going to go. But you're not going to be listing a you know five million dollar house uh, in the first week. So yeah. So, so we always tell everyone, take back, have enough money saved up that you can go not make any money in a year. Okay, so have enough in your uh, bank account to survive a year because I think you're pointing to something that even in the design trade, we all know and relationships are key. That's what it's all about because I'm sure you'll tell me, I don't know, go ahead. Do you, does one client end up using you multiple times? Uh, for Ken and I, I would say about um, 90% of our business is past clients or referrals from those clients. Yeah. So, and, and using them multiple times. So we've had clients where, they have bought property after property, some being uh, investment properties, uh, but some of them just changing out from house to another house. So I know your husband, John, and do you always agree when it comes to real estate and interior design and all that stuff? You know, it, it's a great aspect with us is that we usually do. It's just that sometimes my taste might be a little bit more <laughs> than what he wants to spend. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do, you know? I don't know. I mean, what is scandal? To, I don't know. Real estate to me is is full of scandal. You know, probably not for you because you're so reputable. <laughs> you know what I mean? You go by the book. Yeah. But it just seems like between juggling difficult clients, um, you know, driving through LA traffic, um, people with unrealistic expectations, you know, do, what do you do to unwind? What I do to unwind? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, spending time with my husband, uh, having a glass of wine, talking to each other about our day's events. Okay, that uh, sounds just so Norman Rockwellian to me. <laughs> uh, a glass of wine. Come on, we've had a few martinis. I, I've, well, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to say, I do. we do like uh, our dirty martini with blue cheese olive. Yes, you are a dirty martini guy, that's for sure. Um, I used to drink those, but um, I cleaned it up a bit. It's good that you carry on the legacy. Maybe that's part of your scandalous past. <laughs> you and I have known each other a long time. What is, for our viewers, the most scandalous story about me in your world? Okay. He's stunned. stunned. Just for those of you listening, Tommy's face is perplexed because there's nothing scandalous about me. Or is there? I don't know. I, you know, I, you know I, I don't know if it would be scandalous. I would say that most people don't know about you is that you used to uh, be in Jane Fonda videos and their exercise videos. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's scan, although Lycra can be considered scandalous. Um, but yeah, no, I've definitely had multiple careers. That's for sure. Yeah. And I also had a um, somewhat of a mullet back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, check out the videos. You can see the uh, latex and. Uh, no, not latex. Lycra. <laughs> Let's, uh, okay. That's a whole nother series of videos. <laughs> that was another video. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we will end the show here. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tommy. Enjoyed being with you. Thank you. This has been an MBU production. To learn more, go to markburnettes.com. That's M-A-R-K-B-R-U-N-E-T-Z dot com.